You are listening to Let's Talk Trail on podcast. Keep up with the latest episodes by downloading the Podbean app or stream episodes via our social media accounts. Search for Let's Talk Trail on Facebook or Instagram. This episode is sponsored by Student Access. Student Access, the leader in Trio software. Student Access is an online database solution that allows Trio programs to track their students' information, connect with students by text messages, streamline the APR, and work from anywhere, all online, with automatic updates for changes from the Department of Education. Their technical support team includes former Trio staff and has over 50 years of combined experience working with Trio. Make it easier to focus on your priority, the students. For more information and to request a free demo, visit their website at www.studentaccess.com or call them toll-free at 1-800-801-1232. That website again is www.studentaccess.com or 1-800-801-1232. Be sure to share your favorite episodes on your social media by tapping that share button. This is a great way to support the podcast. Now here's your host, Juan Rivas. Thank you, Emilia, for that wonderful introduction. Hello, listener, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Trio. I am your host, Juan Rivas. In today's episode, we have Yesenia Sanchez, an alum of the Trio McNair program at St. Louis University. She's going to talk to us about her educational journey, her travel experiences, and what it meant for her to be an alum of the Trio McNair program. A huge thanks to our sponsors, Angelica Vialpando, Rosario Riley, Dated Electronics, and Student Access. Thank you all so much for your continued support of this podcast. You too can be a sponsor of the podcast. Head on over to Patreon and search for Let's Talk Trio. Choose one of four patron levels. You can support this podcast for as little as a dollar a month. A dollar a month does go a long way in supporting this podcast. If you would like to nominate a participant, staff, or alumni to be on the podcast, send us an email at letstalktrio at gmail.com. That email again, it's L-E-T-S-T-A-L-K-T-R-I-O at gmail.com. A great episode featuring Yesenia Sanchez. Once you hear her story, it's very hard not to get caught up in her charisma, uh, her storytelling, and just the experiences she's had. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Four, three, two, one. Hi, Trio Nation. My guest on the Let's Talk Trio podcast graduate cum laude from St. Louis University, also known as SLU, with a double major in French and International Studies and minors in Political Science, Women, and Gender Studies. She finished her graduate program this past summer. As a McNair scholar, she published a paper in her school's corresponding journal titled Policy, Perception, Reality, Current Discourse Surrounding Migration in France, examining the media discourses and policies that emerged as a result of the migrant crisis of 2015. This was inspired by the academic school year she spent studying in Lyon, France. During her undergraduate studies, she was awarded multiple awards, which most notably the James D. Collins Award for Academic Excellence. As the child of immigrants, she wishes to become a migrant advocate. Yastenia enjoys volunteering and tries to prioritize women-led organizations and projects focused on migrants. In grad school, her thesis focused on gender violence and militarization at the border. 
She thinks studying the past is important to understanding our current conditions, and it and maybe it can lead preventing history from repeating itself. In her free time, she likes to explore cafes and go on bike rides. I am very honored to have Yesenia Sanchez on the Let's Talk Trio podcast. Yesenia, welcome. Thank you, Juan. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here too. We thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I know that this has been kind of a, a, a thing that we've been building toward to, to get you on the podcast. Um, how's, how are things today? You're currently in New York, right? Yes, I'm currently in New York. I'm, I'm in a transition period right now. I, I graduated, as you just said. So I am at my most newest big girl job right now. Wow, congratulations. And congratulations again with the, with the graduating because that's, that's a huge deal. It is a huge deal, actually. And uh, I mean, I don't think I don't think we mentioned it, but I graduated with two master's degrees, actually. I'm two I, master's I graduated, degree. Wow. Yes, two whole master's degrees, one uh, from the London School of Economics, a master's in, in social science and the master's of arts from Columbia University. Fabulous and wonderful. Congratulations on all of that. That is an, an amazing accomplishment. Uh, for a lot of students right now, uh, so we're recording this episode, for many colleges that are like a week away from starting or they're already in the middle of starting, uh, but winter break is usually a good time to, to be with family, relax. Uh, what are you currently doing in this moment of, uh, or are you even relaxing or spending some time to relax? <laughs> Uh, is there ever time to relax? No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, winter break is over for me. That's okay. the bad thing of no longer being a student. Um, but I was very lucky. I went back home to St. Louis and I was able to spend it with my family. Right on. So people usually make New Year's resolutions uh, around the new year uh, to improve health, build relationships or change their career trajectory. Yours, obviously, a huge change and a huge shift. Uh, are there any resolutions that you're attempting for 2023? Yes, it's a really big one. Um, I'm trying to find my love for reading again, which is something that was unfortunate because of grad school. I was just a little burnt out at the end that I need to know. I need to learn how to read for fun again. <laughs> uh, trust me, I've experienced that as well after finishing. And I, I didn't do two masters like you did because that's <laughs> I would burn out by the end. Uh, but for me, it was uh, it took me a, a couple of years before I could find leisure into reading again. So uh, currently I'm doing 25 books a year and I feel like that's still a lot, but. It's still, it's, I don't, wherever, if I get to two books a year, I'll be very happy. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Are there any genres of books that you really like or you really enjoy for, for just for enjoyment? Yeah. So I, I'm a big fan of fiction, honestly. I like, um, and I've really been liking feel good books. Um, just right like I, <laughs> I was reading this book called you exist too much and it's about it's a little bit about generational trauma and like being like a first gen immigrant so I I very much related to it mm -hmm. and at the end it's it it wasn't the most feel-good book but it helped me like it helped me come to term terms with certain things that I also grapple with mm -hmm. um but then also the PS I love you books uh just ah. from a rom-com. Those are, those are <laughs> such feel-good books. I think we all have those guilty pleasures, right? The, the books that of we really course. love and we really enjoy and we clo hold close to our hearts. For me, it's science fiction. It's uh, uh, anything in Star Wars, anything with, uh, uh, you know, trying to uh, explain a future that could be possible. So to me, that's that. Yes. No, I love that. That's so good. So I did read on your Columbia University profile that you enjoy food. Uh, any favorite foods that you would recommend uh, if we're out and about traveling? Of course. I I love I love Korean food. I mean, well, first of all, if you're traveling, go to Mexico, eat some good food, eat the don't be scared of the street food. 
Um, but I love Korean food. Uh, it's, it's really, really good. Um, there's a lot, even just simple, you know, the bibimbap. I definitely recommend that. That's amazing. Awesome. Yeah. Got to tell the audience so that we really, uh, right. If you're looking for food, got to try, uh, got to try something at least once for sure. Exactly. Exactly. So around the nation, things to be things seem to be going back to normal, especially post COVID. And really, I don't even want to call it post COVID because we're still in that COVID phase, right? Uh, but what are some routines that you are reintroducing to your day to day schedule after quarantine? Yeah. So I mean, another one of my 2023 resolutions is to be healthy. So I'm trying to reintroduce. Like I used to be very good at working out, uh, so I'm trying to reintroduce that. Trying to you know get stronger, get healthier. And I want to be one of those people that goes on morning walks, that has Ooh, enough time yeah. in their morning to just go out and enjoy the sun. So I, I want to bring that into, <laughs> into my post-COVID routine. Absolutely. That's important. I think one of the things that I'm, some of the changes that I've, I've been making is I, so I'm here at uh, Fort Collins, Colorado, and we have mm-hmm. this place called the Oval where it's just a long walk. And I've been Monday through Friday, I've been making commitment to at least do a couple laps around the oval. So, yeah. That's so good. I'm so proud of you for doing that. Thank you. <laughs> but I think it's it's that health consciousness, right? It's uh in the move people are moving toward this post-covid uh routine where they want to be a little bit healthier. They want to maintain their health. So, that's amazing that you're doing that too. Thank you. Uh so I also read on your profile that overseas you were uh that when uh, covid struck, you you've uh you had to cancel some plans. Um, that must have been a huge bummer. Why were you overseas? And what was that experience like for you? Yes, of course. So after after undergrad, I took a gap year. Um, it was partly done for financial reasons. I was already accepted to my my program. So I was at, at, already accepted to Columbia. And I was like, I, I need more time to find more scholarships, more financial resources. Um, so I took a gap year. Mm-hmm. And I went to South Korea to teach English. So I taught at a at a private uh, kindergarten, which is amazing. I recommend oh, wow. everyone to teach kindergarten at one point. Just <laughs> the little kids when they're when they're this age, they're so cute. Um, but yeah, so I was there during the during the the start of the pandemic. It all mm-hmm. started because of this one lady in a religious cult who lied about going abroad, and then basically mm-hmm. everything exploded and. Uh-huh. South Korea went into a state of emergency. Um, oh, wow. Everything shut down. The school I worked for, because of the shutdowns, they eventually filed for bankruptcy. So I had to return home just because there was no point in me staying in South Korea. If the point mm. was to make a little bit of money, and the point it was, it was just wasn't going to happen um, if I was there without a job. Um, but yeah, I was super lucky that I I would watch the the air quality forecast just because air quality is something that you have to care about in Seoul. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got lucky that I bought a thing of masks the week before the, the before the shutdown. So mm-hmm. I had, I had like high quality masks wow. and everything ran out. And I was like, I am so sorry, but here's me with my little pack of masks. <laughs> <laughs> but it was very chaotic. It was yeah. a really, it was a good experience because I got to see the difference between how South Korea handled the pandemic and how the United States handled the pandemic. Wow. That must've been a stark difference. So for you, uh, how each country handled it, um, do you feel like it was, uh, I I know for the United States, it was kind of sudden blunt and we had to kind of adapt to it overnight. Um, For you, what what, what was that experience like? Like, did did you feel like, yeah, same thing over here. We had to adapt kind of everything overnight. Well, yeah. What was that like? I, I don't know if it was so sudden and so abrupt and so disruptive just because 
there there's a strong culture of wearing a mask and like even if you just have like a simple cold there's a strong culture of like getting your groceries through delivery the delivery culture is very strong over there mm-hmm. um so i personally i mean I, i'm not korean i was there as an immigrant basically like a worker um so it was it, from for me it wasn't that stark apart from there were some establishments that were like oh no foreigners allowed so mm, that was gotcha. the bad thing but mm-hmm. otherwise i i'm a big fan of how south korea handled it right on what did your response to the pandemic teach you uh i think it taught me to be patient with myself um and how to how to be how a little kindness and a little grace can take us really far in some situations absolutely i agree i think the pandemic if anything right taught us uh, the importance of even the uh the workers that are working an hourly wage uh stuck in a restaurant uh those that are dependent uh on on foot traffic to you know uh, earn a living um absolutely patience definitely in the number one part uh up there uh but did you pick up any skills i think i saw a lot of tiktoks a lot of videos youtubes and everything about like people picking up skills like bread making skills and suddenly learning how to crochet where where did you fall on that did you did you learn a new skill i did so i took up embroidery um nice it it was sort of successful and then i had some sewing skills from when i was a kid So I I picked that back up and I managed to make myself two dresses and a shirt. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Do you still have them? Yes, I still have them. <laughs> they they're, they're now a little ratty so they're like house clothes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been a couple of years, right? So it's 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 to be expected. Um yeah. talk to us about your interests and hobbies. Do you like biking and you like uh, also going out to explore new cafes? Where, how did you get into that? Yes, so biking is just something I use as a de-stressor. I don't do anything competitive or anything that's way too sporty. I kind of just like to, you know, put on my helmet, grab my bike and stroll down the street, just think about things and smell the fresh air. Um yeah, that's just something to to relax and de-stress. Um and going to cafes, that's something I picked up in South Korea because their oh, really? cafe culture super super nice, super super good. Mm-hmm. Um and now that I'm in New York I'm very excited to be able to explore more cafes uh trying That's to amazing. find like my little my local cafes to see which one's going to be my go to Right on. Uh so we're going to rewind the clock a bit. Uh we want you to talk to us about your upbringing. What was that like for you? Of course. So I was raised uh between the US and Mexico. Um so I actually did half of the my elementary school years in Mexico uh and I was surrounded by my extended family and it was all very nice very um a very cozy moment i guess uh it was mm-hmm. it was a very secure moment just to be able to grow next to so many of my family members and you know your cousins become your best friends and that those are your childhood friends forever um and then eventually my mom got approved to come to the us and we transitioned over that's awesome what well, what was your family's attitude toward education my mom is a super strong advocate for education so i'm super lucky to have have her support throughout my entire journey Um in my internal in my entire maternal side is actually very education focused. Mm-hmm. I think they understand like well I think we understand or there's just this idea that educational at- uh, attainment is a way for for wealth creation and just creating an overall stability for for yourself. And plus my grandma was a primary school teacher before she got married. Oh yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> that that influenced a little bit, right? That is that's that's a little sneaking, yeah. <laughs> um do you remember your early years in elementary school? What was that like for you? 
Yeah, so I, I remember some of it. Um, fun fact, I actually hated going to school. Um, ah. I, cre- <laughs> I credit it to like just being <laughs> incredibly anxious. Um, mm-hmm. Every Monday, I basically tell my mom, like, I am not going to school today. I don't care what happens. I would like, <laughs> you know. Right. <laughs> um, and my grandma would actually defend me when my mom was and like very rightfully aggravated that I wanted to skip school again. Yeah. Was it, was it, what was it about the elementary school? Was it something like it, was it the social anxiety? Was it the, just the homework? I know for my kids, it's typically like it's homework and it's gotta be, it's gotta be homework. What was it for you? <laughs> I'm not really sure. I don't think I really remember. I mean, I guess I'm sure it was some kind of social anxiety in a way. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I mean, I did kindergarten in the U.S. and then first grade, I was, you know, transitioned over to Mexico, everything in Spanish. Oh, wow. Um, I'm sure that yeah. that had something to do with it. <laughs> mm, yeah. Uh, so elementary, I know that you talked a little bit about there was a lot of transition going on. Uh, do you remember what about uh, middle school? Like, uh, did do you remember a lot of what happened in middle school? Do you remember, you know, if if you liked it or if there was an attitude toward it? Yes. So I was still very, I was still very uh, anxious and very Mm -hmm. much against Mm -hmm. school at this point. But it was just a little bit harder because my family at this point, we had moved, I I had been in the US for a year, and then we moved districts. So it felt like any friends that I made uh, this last year of elementary school, now suddenly, I had to start all over again and make oh an entire new thread of friends. <laughs> mm, wow. So that starting over is, is a, almost like a theme with you. It, it feels like <laughs> that, right? Like once you get used to something, then something un- upends all that and then you have to start over. Um, so it was really hard then to establish any um, hard connections, right? Yes, but I, I, I mean, I don't know. I think I was very... I don't know how to phrase this. Um, (laughs) I think at that point, uh, you kind of know that you want to make friends and like people want to be friends with you too. So you have to, I think that's just something that looking back is something that I know, but I think in the moment it was just all too daunting. Right, right, right. Uh, Did you get involved with a lot of extracurricular activities while in middle school? Yes, I did. So this is where I first got into marching band. All right, right on. Yes. (laughs) And I was in in the scholar bowl. Um, so very nerdy activities and that's okay. <laughs> um, I also, I went to a predominantly black uh, middle school and the principal was part of the, the Delta sorority. So it was also part of these, I forget the official name, but I just call it like the baby deltas where mm-hmm. the, the Delta sorority would take us on different like excursions and give us mini lectures on different topics, which looking back was really good for my college preparation, just because some of these, these things were like how to write a good essay. Wow. And like that's that's great. Like when you're in sixth grade, sixth, seventh grade, you don't really appreciate something like that. You're like, this is just extra homework. <laughs> but no, right. that's that's like the foundation to creating good skills for later later in grad school. Awesome. Well, I didn't realize you were also a band person. What instrument did you play? <laughs> I played the clarinet. What did you play? <laughs> Same. Ah, no way. <laughs> yes. I got- I got called Squidward. <laughs> <laughs> I was in band before Squidward became popular. So oh, um, still, you know, <laughs> I did marching band in 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 uh, high school and in college. And yeah, oh, I just stopped playing, but I still know it. But okay. you still play? Uh, no, I stopped playing um, halfway through high school. Oh, halfway through high school. Okay. Um, 
So at this point of your educational journey, you're, you've been a baby Delta, you have a band, marching band experience, and you're also in a scholar bowl. Uh, what did you start learning about yourself at this point of your educational journey? Oh, learn about myself? I'm not sure. But I think at this point in my educational journey is where I had this attitude where like my know-it-all attitude. Uh, ah. like, it's a very like preteen, <laughs> teenage phase. Like I know it all. You can't tell me anything else. Gotcha. I think for a lot of high schoolers, and I've worked with high school students uh, when I was an upper bound director and a coordinator, mm -hmm. uh, they really have this, uh, right, this aura of, I know everything, I'm invincible, I, I want to tackle life, and then life hits you and you go, oh my gosh, I didn't know everything I thought I would know. <laughs> um, so talk to us a little bit about your transition from middle school to high school. What was that like for you? Like a phoenix, yet I rise. So we moved districts again. Uh, wow. And I, um, this is where things start to, I guess, get a little rougher. Um, I had to start classes late, like, because we moved districts. This new district required a whole bunch of documents and, like, just, you know, I, the immigrant experiences that sometimes you don't collect every single official document. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. So then I, yes. So then I had to start classes late and I, like that whole transition period where freshmen are making friends, I missed out on that. So I just, I felt a little behind there. Yeah. Uh, did you get to carry air, carry over any of your extracurricular activities from middle school to high school? Yes, I did. So I carried out um, a band, marching band. I continued to play the clarinet. And that that is where I had a really stark experience because I was first mm -hmm. chair in middle school and mm -hmm. I was like the best I was the golden child in the middle school band or one of the golden children and then I get to high school and like these kids are getting like after school band lessons and like wow. they have private tutors mm -hmm. and there I am just like with my little you know my little book trying to like practice these things like I I yeah but yeah that that's one thing and I middle uh marching band was actually really helpful in that it helped me make more friends so Yes, it was a very stark difference, but I did get to make really good friends. That's good. That's 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 awesome. Um, I'm going to rephrase this next question because I know we talked about it pre-show. Uh, what did you enjoy most about high school? Uh, what? Oh, that's so interesting. Okay. <laughs> um, I think I think coming to terms with like who I am as a person, like starting, like looking back when you're going through high school, or at least personally, as I was going through high school, I wasn't thinking like, oh, these are the best years of my life. Like mm -hmm. this is, uh, but I think looking back, I can see like foundational, like th these moments that are the foundation for who I am now. Wonderful. Um, how did you learn about TRIO? And is this something like you started thinking about uh, joining or did that come later? So officially, mm -hmm. I didn't find out about TRIO until my junior year of undergrad. Oh, wow. um, but I'd actually heard about about programs like Upward Bound. Upward Bound. I just didn't know they were trio programs. Um, I was actually never a member of Upward Upward Bound. I can't say it's Upward Bound. It's um, tricky. Upward Bound is it's kind of tricky. <laughs> it took me a while to say it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, officially it wasn't until I found out about the McNair Scholars Program. All right. Uh, did, so then you did you think about going to college while in high school? Yes, I did. It was never really a question that I was not going to go to college. Mm. I think. Um, just because of the strong importance of education in my family, I think that I always knew that I was going to be going to college. Mm -hmm. And I always knew that I, I 
the kinds of jobs that I wanted to do, I know that they required a college education. Right on. In, in that same kind of breath of question, uh, so you you were thinking about college already. You said, hey, it's not a, even a question if I'm going, I'm going. D- did you know like what colleges you wanted to attend or what colleges were in your radar? Yeah. So again, on this thread of I know it all and I'm a bit delusional. Um, <laughs> so I found out about the Ivy League through watching Gossip Girl of all shows. Oh, really? Yes, I did. I, and, and that's just something that like being first gen and being low income, you don't find out about all these different colleges. You find out about like local universities. You find out about like so and so daughter, so and so son is going to this college. You find out about that, which is fine. But then... I hear about names like uh, like Blair Waldorf want to go to Yale. And I'm like, oh, Yale, what is this? Oh, there's a whole yeah. Ivy League to this. Yeah. And then, so, yeah, I knew eventually that's where I would end up. And lo and behold, I am Ivy educated. Yeah, you are, <laughs> which is amazing. Congratulations and a bunch of celebrations. We're going to talk about that uh, here in a bit, too. Um, so for a lot of students, when they think about college, they immediately think about like, I want to go, right? Or I want to attend, but you have to run it by family. Uh, is that something that you had uh, extensive conversations with uh, family to to discuss about college and what that would look like? Yes. So yes, especially on the financial part. I I mean, I've always been a smart. I was or I was a very smart kid. Um, you are right. I I'm, like, yeah, I'm, I'm just not no, no, anywhere, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Just I mean, there was no question that I would not go to college, and I think that. My mom's someone who sacrificed a lot for me. And I understood that. I mean, I I think it was an unspoken agreement that we knew that other sacrifices would have to happen for me to go to college. Um, So, yes, it was a conversation that was had, but mostly on the you need to continue to be a smart kid and do everything Mm -hmm. to be able to get these scholarships. Okay, so on the subject of scholarships, uh, a lot of students, when they think about college uh, and and I think I'm thinking about like the majority population, the, the those that have uh, parents that have gone to college and they can guide them and coach them. Um, uh, you were our first generation, is that right? Yes, yes, that's correct. I am first generation. Um, very proud of it too. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, and I had to, I had to do a lot of searching. I was, I was lucky that one of the high school counselors that I had in, yeah, one of the counselors that I had in high school was, was supportive, but then he had to go on sick leave. So then I was left with someone that was a little less helpful. <laughs> oh no, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. So in that in that same question, I know that uh, the real follow up is uh, when you found out about scholarships. How early on did you find out about it, or did you feel like you were already behind? Yeah, so I guess I felt like I was behind in a lot of ways. Like, I mean, I mentioned like some band kids were getting after school help. I wasn't getting after school help in that sense. Um, and yeah, so I did have to play catch up and like eventually I started working. So all my free time would have to go to to work and I wouldn't have right. time to like, oh, like there's SAT or ACT help here that you can go. It's like, ah, unfortunately, it's on Saturday and I have to work on Saturdays. Mm, yeah. Uh, in that uh, in that question, kind of a quick follow up. Um, so you had a job then? Yes, yes, I've had a job. Um, also part of the reason why I dropped marching band. Mm, yeah. Um, eventually, you know, things different things have to be prioritized. And Absolutely. if I if I wanted to get this college education, I, I knew I had to start saving up a little bit before. Right. Or at least especially because not I don't think 
I don't think many people know about like college funds for kids when they are, you know, if your family's the first one that comes to the, if you're, yeah, if your family members are the first one that come into the US, I don't think they're going to be super focused on college funds or very aware of college funds. No, no, I, I completely agree. I think uh, for a lot of uh, first generation college students, uh, parents either don't have the funds, right? Or it's not there. They'll, they'll support you in many other different ways to get you to college and help you support you through it. But uh, as far as like money funds, uh, totally agree. I think uh, first, first generation students experience that a lot. Like it's not that they didn't want to, it's that there was a f- financial constraints in the family. Of course. And also just sometimes just lack of awareness. Sometimes well, t- we totally. just don't know what's what's out there. And like, as much as we want to do, we there's a giant gap of knowledge that happens, I think. Yeah. So as high school graduation neared for you, uh, you finally decided on a college. Did you know what college you wanted to attend to at this point? Yes. So I was torn between the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, who was offering me good money, um, and then St. Louis University that was offering me better money. Um, (laughs) And it was closer to home. And I think Mm -hmm. at that point, I, I needed to be home for a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. Um, So it ended up working better that I could, I could go to Sloop. Awesome. Share with with us your graduation from high school. What was that moment like for you? It was very nice. It was very, um, nothing too much because I knew I would be having other graduations. Like I just delusional, I am delusional beyond myself. So I knew that (laughs) I would be having another graduation. So it was just like another thing. I'm usually a very nervous person and I was not nervous that day. It was incredible. So I just, it was something that just, it was going to happen. It happened and it was a nice time. Well, just to put this out there, you strike me as a very humble person. I don't think you're very, <laughs> you know, you, you don't walk the earth with this very bravado. I think you're, you're very humble. Um, what preparations did you make during the summer to attend SLU? Not enough. Not um, enough? Not enough. Talk and to us about that. I was, yeah, well, I had to, I had to work that summer. I had to save up money. Um, I think I took a trip to Mexico to see my family just because I knew that things were going to radically change. So I, yeah, my preparation was seeing my family and trying to, to ensure that I felt supported or that I felt um, comfortable enough with myself. And then that I would, I would hopefully take into my first semester at SLU. So you were then super, very busy uh, in the summer, like preparing trying to prepare, but like feeling still like not all the way prepared. Yes. Uh, I guess I, I could have done more preparation in the educational sense, but in the personal sense, I was very prepared. I think for a lot of first generation students that uh, experience that, right. It's like, well, I don't know what else I could do to prepare or if there's not enough preparation, like we're going to find out the first day. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so talk to us about that moment then about setting foot on campus. What are some of your immediate re- reactions to that? Oh, it was very nice. SLU has a very beautiful campus. Um, and I remember when we did the tour, my mom was like, wow, this is so nice. Uh, so it's just stepping foot on campus. I was like, wow, I can't believe it. And I, I lived in a dorm the first semester, actually. And I was like, wow, like this is I'm going to be here every single day. And I had a view of the courtyard and I was like, this is beautiful. I, I love it here. It felt like it felt like I was stepping into where I was meant to be. That's awesome. Talk to us about your first semester. What did you do? What was your experience? Yeah, give you the floor. So I I guess I love to participate in things. I got involved in so many clubs. Um, 
and I was doing everything. And I mean, I'm still, you know, I'm still a low income student. So I still have my job and I'm doing 10 million things where I found the energy to properly do all those things. I have no idea just because, I mean, I was also, I was doing well in school. I had all these like little local scholarships that I had to do things for. Mm-hmm. And it was a good time. My first semester at SLU was amazing. You don't by chance be happy. You don't happen to be like nuclear powered or do you have some solar <laughs> solar power that you're like constantly being able to, do? I would be out of energy by the end of the day. <laughs> I have no idea where I found that energy. I must be, you know, I must be like a plant and I photosynthesize. There you go. <laughs> I like that. Natural power. That's what it was. Exactly. Um, so did you know what you wanted to major in or what program you wanted to be devoted to when you uh, when you entered SLU? Or were there other programs like you were kind of bouncing around thinking about uh, majoring in? No, I think I always knew I wanted to do something related to international politics. So I did international relations. And then I, I mean, I've, I've been a French language lover since high school. So I, I did a, a, also a French major um, just because I knew I knew that's what I wanted to do. And eventually I want to end up abroad. Wonderful. Um, there were no other programs then that were in consideration. Those were your priority. Like this is what, I, what you wanted to do. Yes, I think so. Even at UI, UIUC, I was looking at global studies. So I wow. think this, this international politics is what calls to me. So like a, like a, like a plant that absorbed its energy from the sun and, and it gives back a lot. You were super energized. What, what was your college life looking like at that point? It was like, it was very nice. Um, and then I, my family hit like a roadblock. Um, and oh. then my, my, so my first semester, amazing. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Second semester, not so much. I had to move out of my dorm and mm-hmm. I had like some transitions. I think I had, I, yeah, I, I think it was that semester that I had harder classes. So then I had oh to gosh. like readjust, readjust like my study habits and things like that. Um, but yeah, other that's, that's how my college life was slowly progressing. <laughs> okay. Uh, totally understand that. Um, so earlier in the episode, you said uh, you got involved with Trio McNair. How did you find out about them? So I found out about Trio McNair my junior year when I was studying abroad in Lyon, mm-hmm. um, in France. And one of my friends, uh, Dani, I'll just drop her nickname. <laughs> Dani told me about it. She's like, hey, I just found out about this. I think you'd be a super good candidate for it. Do you want to apply? Like, I'm, I'm working with, the, with the, the SLU McNair team. Like, I can drop your name. And I was like, yes, this sounds really cool. And then so I found out about it. I applied. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think they were a bit hesitant to take me because the the official start was that April, I think it was mm. April 2018. And mm. I was still, I would still be in France. So they were a bit hesitant to accept me because they thought they're like, oh, it's not going to work with the time difference. She's not on campus. We can't provide yeah. her the proper resources. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they were hesitant. And I felt like I had to really be like, no, I promise I'll do everything. Like mm-hmm. I will, like, I'll be a good, I'll, I'll be your model student. <laughs> <laughs> so then, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Motley. Yes, I love Dr. Motley. Dr. Motley has been tremendous help, a super cheerleader. I best best person out there. She is amazing. Uh, so I had her on the podcast. Her and uh, some of the Slu McNair uh, uh, folks. I had them uh, a couple of years back, but yeah. uh, we did an interview, and uh, Dr. Motley was just amazing, uh, amazing person. We still keep up on Instagram. We still message each other <laughs> once in a while. So she is a fantabulous, wonderful amazing human being. 
She is. She is. Uh, so in that in that moment, uh, getting involved with Trio McNair, what was your draw? What was what was that thing that inspired you to say, hey, I'm going to get involved with this? It was the grad school help because I knew I wanted to continue my education. And I just I knew I needed help to get to the next step. I knew that, like, I didn't know enough. Mm-hmm. And that's I think that's great of me to have known that I didn't know enough that I, I was able to not be delusional for a second. Like, oh, it's I'll figure it out. <laughs> I think and we I humble able... ourselves at one point, right? <laughs> at one point, eventually it's got to happen. Um, but yeah, no, it's so that happened. And I think it was great just because, like, I got a, a lot of GRE help and uh, cover letter help, personal statement um, so without it, I think uh, I would have struggled a lot more to to get into grad school. Any additional sp- uh, support that they provided while you were in McNair? Uh, there was GRE tutoring, which was really helpful um, just because I was really rusty in math. I mean, I was doing mostly language and politics classes, so math was not a priority for me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and just community support. I some of my me- some of my best friends I I met through McNair. Okay. So, you know, you wanted to go continue going to school. So you knew after undergrad was going to be more, more schooling for a lot of students that feels like, oh my gosh, more school. Like I have to do that. What motivated you to continue your studies? In just this need, this need to succeed and this, well, not need to succeed, this drive to succeed, this drive to, to ensure that, uh, like, my mom's sacrifices are not going to vain. And I know that uh, educational, you know, attainment is one way that I can guarantee that. But also just ensuring that that someone like me, someone who is first gen, someone who is low income, who can who is able to succeed and to thrive in these uh, in these places that are quite honestly not made for us many of the times. Um, just ensuring that I can be that face. And I love to be the face of things. I'm, I'm maybe that's a little vain, but like when McNair, um, when SLU, McNair at SLU was looking for people to promote the program, I was like, I love it. I'll tell people about it. Um, and I would, you know, try to get people to, to sign up, even if it's just like finding out about it and you find out about Trio. Like if it's your first time hearing about Trio and you're like, oh, well, McNair doesn't suit me because I want to do law school or something, but here's this student support services that can actually help me or something like that. Right on. Well, then you're going to have to be our podcast ambassador to get more students to be on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) We don't pay anything, but I mean, (laughs) it's okay. (laughs) So what was your favorite memory being at SLU? What's, you know, something that sticks out to you that you're like, I absolutely love this experience. Um, personal experience, SLU is very nice in the spring and in the autumn. Um, they, I love just setting up my hammock on campus and just relaxing with my friends. That's SLU has a good hammock culture and Ooh, it's good a good campus. Culture. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a good campus, lots of trees to just set up and, and relax after, you know, a long day in classes, you can just relax, um, but also just the sense of community that I was able to build at SLU. I think I think that was very, very good for me. I think a lot of students miss that, right? Like they they before they enter college, it's 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 not just get a degree and get a job. Even though, right? And we can we can talk about how capitalistic idea that that is. Like a degree is supposed to enhance you. It's supposed to help grow your knowledge. But I believe I strongly believe that there's a community there, right? That that you build this community to help you keep growing as a person. 
And I, I think you've highlighted it beautifully. <laughs> good, good. Thank you. So after you graduated from college, you continued to have great experiences. Can you talk to us about uh, all those experiences and what that meant for you? Yes, of course. So, I mean, it was part of those these experiences at SLU that were able to get me. I mean, after my uh, during my gap year, I was looking at new scholarship opportunities for, for grad school. Um, it was these opportunities that not only just McNair, but also SLU were able to to build me up for to to get these scholarships, um, to get this this financial help. I mean, even just getting into Columbia, I credit that a lot. Like having having my 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 McNair advisor like mm-hmm. guide me and tell me like, oh, this cover your personal statements looking great for this school. In this school, I think you could switch this, this, and this, and just that kind of support. I think is good um, to set me up for grad school. And then once I'm in grad school. Um, once I finished uh, my 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 time at Columbia, I actually did a NASA internship. Like me knowing wow, nothing, NASA. nothing about science. I know NASA of all things, and this is why I'm a big advocate of like you don't need to fit into this perfect little box to be able to qualify for things. Or like you, no one should ever limit themselves to trying to fit into into a tiny box. So here I am, non-STEM, no engineering experience. But I have history experience. I have political experience. So, and guess what NASA is? Guess what going into outer space is? You have to document this history. You have to take into account the space treaties, uh, UN spatial accords, and different things like that. So I and I credit it a lot to to the McNair program and my time at McNair, just because in my in my letter uh, in my um, in my in my cover letter to NASA, I wrote about my experience in McNair and the the influence that being a McNair scholar was, and how Doctor even Doctor Ronald McNair and how he's such an inspiration from being such a young kid and so rebellious. How old was he? Like nine or ten, and being like, "I'm gonna read this book at this library." Really <laughs> yeah. not expect me. just things like that. Just yeah. things that like McNair had set me up for that are, you know, that you don't think I think we need to think outside these boxes and be able to connect the dots to, to have these other experiences because at NASA, I was exposed to a whole different like line of work. And I mean, sure. I'm not going to be the person that goes into outer space if I would have, you know, continued at NASA, but I think just having an impact and being able to document such momentous history is really important. Absolutely. And I think in the spirit of Ronald, Dr. Ronald D. McNair, I think you represent that so well in the thirst for knowledge, the ability to continue absorbing and learning. And yeah, that, that I'm still blown away that you worked at NASA. Like that's that's where your internship was. That, that That's amazing. It's crazy. Sometimes I don't believe it myself. I'll be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Just looking back casually going, oh, yeah, I worked at NASA for a little bit. No big deal. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> You get to now drop that in any conversation with your friends. Like, yeah, we're getting it. This doesn't help when I'm like trying to not be delusional because I'm like, yeah, I'm non-STEM and I ended up at NASA. Like, who does that? (laughs) Well, very driven people that that have the the spirit of Dr. Ronald E. McNair in them, that always seeking knowledge, always looking to uh, flourish and and grow out. That's definitely indicative of of all your success so far. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. So you've had the opportunity to travel and see some amazing things. Uh, where do you think you're going to land in terms of a career? Um, hopefully, I'm trying to, I don't know. I don't know where I'll end up. I'm The path that I end up 
will hopefully be a good one. And hopefully it leads me to some time outside of the United States. I like to leave the U.S. and then come back and appreciate it again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's amazing. I like that. That's a wonderful sentiment. Um, what do you see yourself doing 10 years from now? Hopefully I am working for an organization or some place that is very migrant focused. I think, um, I mean, like you introduced me, ultimately I want to be a migrant advocate and I want to ensure that whatever I do is towards the service and benefit of all immigrants. And I think you're going to do just that. That's wonderful. Um, any mentors or advisors you would like to recognize on this podcast? Dr. J, Dr. Jamie Motley, obviously. Um, absolutely wonderful person. Very, very supportive. And I could not be in many places without her help. Um, the entire French uh, faculty at uh Slew, I mean, Dr. Annie Smart, who helped me through my McNair program or through my time at the McNair program, um, my different mentors uh, in the French program. Um, yes, no, definitely them for sure. Fantastic. What are some words of wisdom that you have for TRIO students thinking about college or wanting to study beyond a two-year two or four-year degree? Of course, don't be scared to ask questions. Don't be, don't try to make yourself fit into a little box. Um, and be delusional, you know, that's okay. Maybe it's bad advice, but be a little delusional. That's the theme word of today, delusional. Delusional. Uh, I was going to ask you, one of the questions I didn't get to put on here is, what's one word that people would use to describe you? I hope it's not delusional. <laughs> I hope it's not delusional either, but if it is, you know what, it's okay. Um, oh, that's a really good question. Um, I'm going to use that for the title of the podcast, I hope you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Um, wow, that's such a good that's such a good question. Um, let's go with charismatic. But charismatic. I think, yeah, let's let's go with that one. That's an easy. I love, you are very charismatic, by the way. So I will use that as your <laughs> podcast title. Charismatic is Senya Sanchez. It's okay. Um, delusional works. <laughs> um, is there something you would like to say to true professionals listening across the country that are listening to this podcast? Of course. Thank you so much for your tremendous help and your support. I think sometimes people can get bogged down in their work and maybe become a little nearsighted that they don't see the impact that it can have uh, on the future. And, you know, even someone like me who can tell my little cousins like, hey, this is a good program that if you're like, if you're going to go to college, maybe you should look into it. Right on. Yesenia, it was such a pleasure to have you on this podcast. Uh, I love the, the give and take that you were doing. This was an amazing experience for me. I hope uh, you got something out of this too. Yes, of course I did. Thank you so much. I love sharing my experience. So we have a tradition at the Let's Talk Trio podcast where we have the guests sign off. Uh, do you care to do the honors for this? Of course, I'd love to. Thank you. Take it away. Uh, <clears throat> Hi, this is Yesenia Sanchez, and I'm a true alum of the McNair program at St. Louis University. And I want to let you know that TRIO works. That was our guest, Yesenia Sanchez, an alum of the TRIO McNair program at St. Louis University. Yesenia, thank you so much for being on the podcast and for sharing your TRIO story. Remember, if you would like to be on the Let's Talk TRIO podcast or know a staff, advocate, or participant or alumni, send us an email at letstalktrio at gmail.com. That email again is L-E-T-S-T-A-L-K-T-R-I-O at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on all our social media pages. We have Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. 
A huge thanks to our sponsors, Angelica Villalpando, Rosario Riley, Jaded Electronics, and Student Access. Thank you all so much for your continued support of this podcast. I'd like to take a moment to thank our honorary members of the Let's Talk Trio podcast, Roderick Chambers, Tony Ho, Scott Kendall, and Susan Cramp. The Let's Talk Trio podcast team is John Russell, audio engineer, music producer and composer, post-production editor. Amelia Castañeda, script supervisor, marketing manager, social media manager and producer. Juan Rivas, executive producer and host. This episode was recorded Thursday, January 12th, 2023. Y'all, thank you so much for your continued support of this podcast. Thank you for everything, for all your support. We look forward to this 2023 starting off the new year on a great episode. So uh, thank you all so much. Thank you for listening and we will catch you on the next episode.